Yeah, Katie is going to be a blessing. If you don't know her, please do get to know her. Maybe not today. I mean, it can be today, but not all of you today. Um, but you will really, really be blessed to get to know Katie. And I'm looking forward to see how God uses her in some profound ways. Well, we're continuing our Moses series today, so I think we'll get right into it. It wasn't really the life that he'd envisioned for himself. After all, Moses had spent the first 40 years of his life in luxury, in the palace, surrounded by servants and comforts and pleasure. But last week, when we left Moses, he was a political refugee, a fugitive who had fleed from the land where he was raised. And yet, it was there in the wilderness on a mountainside in Midian, shepherding his father-in-law's sheep, that God appeared to Moses in a burning bush. Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that Moses had gone to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Here I am. Friends, this is where we will begin today. Here I am. In those three words, I believe we can learn a lot about what God has been doing in Moses' heart these past 40 years in Midian. Because when Moses went to Midian, when he first went to the wilderness, he was bitter. He was frustrated. He was confused. Remember, he was so angry and irate that he had killed a man. He named his son Gershom. I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Why? Because he was confused about who he was and he was frustrated with where his life had taken him. But now here, 40 years later on a mountainside, we don't meet a bitter Moses. Moses has mellowed. He's slower. He notices. He ponders. He assesses he's not so full of angst. And when God calls to him from within the bush, he says, here I am. Here I am, Lord. Here I am at peace with my life. Here I am finally okay with how things went. Here I am ready to hear you and know you and maybe, just maybe even follow you. Friends, it didn't have to go this way. It didn't. There were a lot of things in Moses' life that could have easily hardened his heart and embittered his soul. Some of you understand this battle. Some of you have, have wondered, how do I not be bitter? How do I just move on? How do I forgive? How do I press forward? How do I trust again, relate again, make myself vulnerable again after what happened to me? Some of you understand those questions. But let me ask you, what have the struggles in your life formed in you? Have they formed and are they forming bitterness, anger, hatred, mistrust? Or have you allowed God to create in you through suffering and through failure, compassion, humility, gentleness, Grace, wherever you're at this morning, let me say this, it's not too late, 
It's not too late to let God do a work because it took Moses 40 years, 40 years of refining before God said, it's time. Friends, in this passage, I believe God is offering us an invitation, an invitation to let go of bitterness in exchange for a better calling, for a better life. God called to Moses from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. By the way, there's nothing holy about this ground. It's dirt. It's wilderness. It's sheep pasture on the side of a mountain. What makes this ground holy is that God is there palpably. What makes this ground holy is that God is speaking in this place. What makes this ground holy is that God is at work in this place in Moses. Friends, do you know what this means? Don't miss this. It means, it means your home can be holy ground. It means your car can be a sacred space. It means that office or that school that you go to every single day can be a place that's divine and hallowed because it's a place where God meets you and calls to you and does work in you. There's some bushes burning in your lives and some of you just don't see them. Pastor Charlie Dates says, God reveals his extraordinary self in the ordinary places of life. Friends, some of you don't believe that. Some of you think you have to come to this room to meet God, and it's just not true. And by the way, there's nothing special about this room either. It's just a room. The same guys who built your house built this room. The reason this room is sacred, the reason this room is special is because God inhabits the praises of his people, and so he comes and he meets with us here. I hope this is a place where you meet with God every week, but I hope it's not the only place you meet with God every week. God says to Moses, take your shoes off. Now, there's a lot of debate about why God asked Moses to do this. Um, you can read on the internet all sorts of thoughts. Was it a sign of respect? Probably. Was it an act of submission? Most certainly. But my favorite explanation comes from Rabbi Hirsch, who says, Perhaps God wanted Moses to feel the dirt and grass on his feet. To know that even the most dirty, dusty, normal places can be lit ablaze when the presence of God is there. Friends, let me ask you this. Is there a place where you meet with the Lord? Is there a place where you tune your ears and shift your full attention to listen to the voice of God? Is there a place where God has the ability and the freedom to speak into and direct your life? Do you have a holy place? You see, a calling from God always begins with hearing from God. And you won't hear if you don't listen. Are you giving him time? Are you giving him space in your life? Every day, every day in prayer, every day in the word, every day with worship songs coming out of your mouth. Do you notice how, do you, am I the only person who notices how when we sing just three songs at the beginning of our service, something starts to shift in my soul every week. And I'm surprised every week. 
Every week again, I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh that too, Lord. Oh, you're doing that. Oh, I see that now. And oh, thank you. I mean, it's like, you need it every day. Just get that worship CD and throw it in your, I mean, no one listens to CDs. Put it on your phone or whatever you do. Listen to what God says to Moses here. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 10. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Everything you need to know about God is right here. If you want to know, like, who's God? How does he work? Like, just tell me a little bit about him. Just read this paragraph. I have seen, I have heard, I am concerned, and I have come down. Does that sound like the gospel to anybody? Friends, do you ever wonder, let me just, do you ever wonder, does God see me? Does he see what I'm going through? He sees. Does, do you ever wrestle with, does he hear me? Does he hear my cries? Does he listen to my prayers? I've been praying about this for so long. Does he hear me? He hears. Do you ever struggle with, you know, will, will God ever do something about it? I mean, I, I've asked this question before, like, God, will you ever, how come you're not fixing this? How come you're not changing this? How come you're not, like, remedying this situation? Are you concerned? Will you come and do anything about it? He's concerned, and he will come on his own time. I also want you to see here the way this plays out, because I want you to notice the buildup. The writer here does this wonderfully. God says to Moses, I see the misery, I hear the cries, I'm concerned about the suffering, and I have come down to handle it. So Moses, why don't you go handle it? And Moses is like, what? what? Me? I'm like, you said you were going to do it, God, right? It's supposed to be sort of shocking. It's supposed to be arresting. It's supposed to sound like God is saying, I'm going to do something about this injustice. Moses, why don't you go do something about this injustice? It's that thing where you're the answer to your own prayers. Has this ever happened to you? You ever like see something or you experience something in life and you're like, that should change. That's not right. I'm going to pray like, God, well, you should fix this situation. And God's like, why don't you go and fix this situation? Or God's like, I hear you. Let's do it. Go ahead and do it. You see, what we want most of the time when we pray is for God to handle stuff when we're sleeping. That's what I like. Right? Like, I'm going to pray at night right before bed. And when I wake up, I hope it's all better. I hope God did all the fixing. Like, I'm the day shift, God. You're the night shift. Let's get some good work done on the night shift tonight, God. And, and sometimes God does work this way. Sometimes he swoops in. Sometimes he performs a miracle. Sometimes he brings someone else along to handle an assignment. It's not always us. But often, often the way God does his work is to say, let's do this together. He sees, he hears, he's concerned, and then he comes down to partner with us. And this is what he wants to do with Moses. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? I mean, it's, it's, it's a great 
question. And honestly, I think it shows that there's a new humility in Moses. You see, old Moses, young Moses, he was killing Egyptians. He was confronting Hebrews. He was ready to do this thing. But now, now he's a bit more hesitant. Now he's a bit more of a realist. Now he understands his own limitations. Have you ever noticed in the Bible how God rarely chooses the I'm pretty sure it's me guy? Like, I'm pretty sure it's me. God never chooses this person. Like, like if God were a teacher, he doesn't call on the kid who raises his hand in class like this. Like, were you that kid in class? I know some of you were because you work at Intel. You're like, oh, you're like... The teacher just won't call on me. I got the answers. I always know the answers. I'm the smartest. I mean, think about who God chooses. Abraham, Joseph, David, Ruth, Esther, Mary, Peter, Paul, the list goes on. These are hesitant people. These are people who do not feel qualified, who don't think they have the answers, who know they are not up for the task alone. Now, I'll pause here and say God does, does use people who are willing, people who respond and say yes and who will humbly follow, and Moses will get there, but first he's got a few more questions. Who am I, he says? Who am I to go? Now, I want to pay you to pay attention how God doesn't respond to Moses' question. Who am I to go to Pharaoh? Because we might expect God to say, Moses... You're the perfect guy. You spent 40 years now in WST, Wilderness Survival Training. You're a Hebrew with a heart for your own people. You were raised in the palace of Egypt's own Pharaoh. Shoot, Mo, I'm going to seal team six you up in there. We're going to get this thing done quick. Is that what God says to Moses? No. God doesn't build Moses confidence in Moses, which kind of shocks us, really. I mean, because in our world, in our culture, we, we live in a hype culture. We live in a culture where when we take a class, like whether it's on a stationary bike or in a yoga studio or in a conference center, we're always being affirmed. We're always being encouraged and told, you know, you've got this. You can do it. You're a boss. You were made for this. Nothing can stop you. This is your moment. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Use it as fuel. Right? That's our world. It's the sort of stuff we hear all the time. What's inside of you is enough. My wife works at a preschool with four and five-year-olds, they are very, very honest. The other day, she wore her hair in a ponytail. One of the kids said to her, I need to fix your hair. And she said, why? And she said, and the kid said, it doesn't look good like that. <laughs> I love that kid. He's making me look great. So I'm like, I think your hair looks awesome, honey. Kids are just honest, right? God is honest. Maybe not like a four-year-old, but he's honest. He's honest here. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. God, I, I don't think I can do this. Yeah, you're probably right. I should probably go with. I mean, it's not a real vote of confidence, is it? He doesn't even answer the question. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Oh yeah, I'd better go along. 
It's the opposite of self-confidence building for Moses. What God says, here's what God says. Moses, your identity and your ability is directly tied to my proximity. Your identity and your ability is directly tied to my proximity. That's a little Dr. Susie, but I liked it. (laughs) Friends, some of you out there are facing some things in life right now. Some struggles, some challenge, some adversity, some tragedy, some opportunity, some ministry, some calling from God. And the question you are asking is, do I have it in me to do this thing? Here's the truth. You probably don't. You probably don't, but with God, you do. Doug Marshall spoke at our men's breakfast yesterday morning. He did a great job. He gave a wonderful presentation just on homelessness and how we as a church can be a part of the solution and shared some wonderful information. At one point, he was just talking about his life, and he shared this motto that sort of sticks in his brain that motivates him to do things. You'll like this, Keith. This will fit you as well. He says, here's the, here's the motto that sort of runs through his brain and through his life from time to time. Attempt something so great for God that it's doomed to failure unless God be in it. Got anything like that in your life? That's a calling. That's Moses in this moment. But God says, I will go with you. So Moses' next question is obvious. Who am I? I'll go with you. Well, who are you? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now, the context of this conversation is that Moses is being a little stubborn. I don't know if you've picked up on this yet, but he, he's, he's being hard to get along with. He's, he's using questions as barriers. He's trying to make excuses to get out of doing this thing. And in Hebrew, the word exchange is kind of funny. Like if most of you don't know Hebrew, I don't really either, but I know just enough to see that it's funny because God is sort of giving it right back to Moses. Moses is being a little bit of a stinker, and God's like, I see your stinker and raise you a stinker. Okay, so <laughs> when God says, I am who I am, it can also be translated, I will be who I will be. And so the exchange goes like this. God, Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh. Moses, who am I? God, I will be with you. Moses, who are you? God, I will be who I will be. Moses, God, that's not helpful at all. (laughs) You're not answering any of my questions. You see, I think Moses was hoping for, I am the God of a million soldiers. I am the God of 40,000 chariots. I am the God of swords and arrows and armor who has come to deal with this tyrant punk named Pharaoh once and for all. Let's do this thing, Moses. But God doesn't say any of that. And that's the point. God is saying here, all you need to know, Moses, is this. You are the one I am with, and I am the one with you. You are the one I am with, and I am the one with you. Say that with me. You are the one I am with, and I am the one with you. Friends, let me ask you this. 
How tied into God's presence are you as you walk through life and face the challenges and callings of this world? How tied into God's presence are you? Not just here on a Sunday morning. God-sized callings will always be too big for you unless he is with you. Unless you stay connected, unless you stay tuned in to his presence in your life, you cannot do it by yourself. And God here is, is sensing some hesitation in Moses. He knows that he needs a little more, that he needs some encouragement, that he needs some confidence. And so he closes chapter 3 by giving Moses like a whole list of, of further assurances. I won't get into all of them, but here's a couple. In verse 15 he says, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent you. God is saying, I'm the God of doubting, self-reliant Abraham. I'm the God of foolish Isaac. I'm the God of conniving and wrestling Jacob. In other words, Moses, I was faithful to work through these flawed people in the past, so you can trust me to, to work through your flawed person in the present. God says he's going to strike the Egyptians with wonders that he will perform among them. He even says that the Hebrew people will leave their captivity, not empty-handed, but with silver and gold in their pockets. He says they will plunder the Egyptians. That word plunder, it's the very last sentence of chapter 3. The word plunder, that's language of victory. That's language of ultimate and ultimate win. God is saying, God, Moses, I'm going to give you the ultimate victory over Egypt. It's going to be like definitive. So now Moses has got to be feeling pretty confident, pretty psyched, pretty pumped up, pretty ready to go. Chapter 4, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, Moses replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. On the crown of Pharaoh was a hooded cobra, coiled and ready to attack. You can see it there in the picture. This cobra was the sign of Egyptian power and sovereign rule in the world. It was meant as a symbol, as a statement to say to all of Egypt's enemies, don't you dare mess with us because we are lethal and we will strike. But what does God tell Moses to do? He tells him to pick up this poisonous snake by the tail it's the very last place you would ever pick up a snake, right? Most of you are like, I wouldn't pick up a snake in any way at all. But if you had to pick up a snake, you'd grab it where? By the head, right behind like on his neck, right? If you grab him by the tail, it's just going to spin around and bite you. You see, friends, this is a story of trust. This whole story is a story of trust, a story of faith. And God is saying this to Moses you must learn to trust that the power Pharaoh boasts in is no power at all compared to the power I am. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. 
So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Friends, at this point in human history, leprosy was the most feared disease there was. If you got leprosy, that meant you were destined to live a life of isolation, but probably you were also going to endure a long, slow death. And there were no answers. There were no answers for this disease. But the Egyptians, the Egyptians set out to find a cure. And Pharaoh had committed money, lots of money, and the brightest minds of the empire to find a cure for this disease. But they failed. They could not do it. So when God cures Moses of his leprosy in literally seconds, he's making this statement Moses, I don't care how much technology, ingenuity, and creative capacity Pharaoh thinks he has. It's nothing compared to the creative force. I am. You see, there's a war that's just about to break out between two I am's. I am Pharaoh. I am the most powerful man on earth. I am the one who leads the most effective, efficient, brilliant nation in the world. And all of history up to this point. I am the one who commands armies and legions, and I am the one with technology more advanced than anyone else on earth. That's who I am, Pharaoh says. So it's I am Pharaoh versus I am who I am. I will be who I will be, the Lord of heaven and earth. Friends, learn this lesson. Young people, young people, learn this lesson now, early in your life. You will face a lot of I am's in this world, but none of them, not a single one is as big, as scary, as strong, as mighty, or as intimidating, or as powerful as the I am that always has been and always will be. Do you know that today? Do you, do you know that today, for whatever you face, that God is bigger and stronger and smarter and faster and better. Because here's the final thing I want you to see today. God says, Moses, look at your hand and, and look at that staff that's in your hand. It's just like, just look at your hand right now in the pew. Just look at it. I, I can see some of you not doing that. Look at your hand. <laughs> Listen to what I'm telling you. God says, Moses, look at your hand. Look at that staff that's in your hand. Just ordinary you. Just, just, and just a plain old staff that you hold every single day as you tend your sheep. You see, Moses, God is saying, to do my will, all I need is your hand and whatever's in it. Just give me what you have. Just let me use who you are because if you will, I can do great things through you. So will you do it, Moses? Will you trust me? Will you partner with me? Will you follow me into this calling, into this ministry with just your hands and what's in them? Friends, let me ask you today, is, is, is there a God calling in your life right now? Is, is there a God calling in your life? Has God put before you a challenge, a struggle, an obstacle, a ministry Something that he is saying, 
do this. I can't do it, Lord, who am I? I know you can't, but we'll do it together. I'm not strong enough, God. I know you're not, but I'm strong enough for the both of us. Is there a calling in your life right now? It doesn't have to be huge. You don't have to free people from a whole nation of slavery, right? You don't have to cure cancer. It doesn't have to be some enormous thing. It just needs to be a God thing, his thing, his calling for your life. Maybe it's, maybe it's just a neighbor or a friend that you'll just commit to pray for and have spiritual conversations with and say, God, that feels real scary to me. I don't think I have the answers. I don't know enough about the Bible. What am I going to do if they start asking questions? I am who I am. Maybe it's a family member who honestly just needs you to stop preaching at them and just needs some extra love and care and attention and needs you to treat them like Jesus or the long haul for the next weeks and months, maybe even years, possibly even decades. Maybe that's your calling. God, I don't have the endurance for that. I am who I am. Maybe it's as simple as having a ministry with Cedar Mill Kids or joining our youth team, or using your gifts and talents in some way to help us be a stronger church for the kingdom of God. We need you, church. God has a calling for some of you right here in this place, in this body, and through you. Even though it seems kind of trivial, he will use it to do great things. But it's going to, I have to get up earlier, and how am I going to work out this detail? And it's kind of an inconvenience, friends. I am who I am. Really? I don't know what it is for you. I do not know what God's calling is for you. I won't pretend to know, but I do believe that God wants to use your hands, your gifts, your life for his glory in this world. In just a minute, we're going to close this service by singing a song that says, essentially, God, you've done so much for me. When I stop and think about it, when I step back from the busyness of this life and consider that that you've created me, that you gave me life, that you've forgiven me of all my failures, that you've forgiven me of all my sins, that you paid the penalty that I was supposed to pay when you died on the cross. God, you've done all this for me. So I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. I'll stand, my soul, Lord, to you surrendered. All I am is yours. All I am is yours. Friends, this is a here I am, Lord, song. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. This song is a declaration that that you want to be used by God in this world. Do you believe that today? Do you really want that today? Do you just want to come to church and check it off and then get about your business? Or do you want God to do something in you and through you in this world that will have eternal significance because the invitation is here from him? He's saying, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do it. He's just waiting for you to say, here I am. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. All I am is yours, Lord. That's all he needs from you. All he needs from you is all I am is yours, Lord. But but I'll warn you. I'll warn you. Don't say all I am is yours if you're not ready for it. Don't say all I am is yours if you're not ready to walk that road and lean on God and trust in him like you've never trusted before. Because if you say, let's do this thing, God's going to do this thing. But friends, I believe that he's got a calling. And I believe there's probably just a handful of people in here that this message is for today. And maybe you feel like I'm talking right to you. And you know exactly already in your mind, oh, Lord, you're calling me to that. I've been trying to fight it. I've been making excuses. I've been avoiding it. 
Maybe today's the day. Maybe today's the day of surrender. Today's the day of saying, you know what? The comforts and pleasures of this life aren't worth it. They're not worth it to miss what God has in store and what he wants to do in and through my life. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. I'll stand, Lord, my soul, my soul, Lord, to you surrendered because all I am is yours. Lord, where in my life are you calling me right now, this day? Let's pray and let's ask it together. Father, this morning, we confess that we, are, we settle for too less. We settle for less than you want to do in us and through us. I confess that about myself, Lord. And so help us to be like Moses, not perfect, not eager beavers, Lord, but people who would say, here I am, Lord. Use me, shape me, help me, lead me. Give me the faith and the courage not to do this thing, but to trust you to do this thing in me. That's our prayer, God. And we pray it together in Christ's name.